Are you tired of boring lectures and textbooks on human factors and UX? Well, grab your headphones and get ready for a wild ride with the Human Factors Minute podcast. Each minute is like a mini crash course packed with valuable insights and information on various organizations, conferences, usability methods, theories, models, certifications, tools, and much more. We'll take you on a journey through the fascinating world of human factors, from the ancient history to the latest trends and developments. Listen in as we explore the field and discover new ways to enhance the user experience. From the think aloud protocol to the critical incident technique, focus groups, iterative design, we'll make sure that you're the smartest person in the room. Tune in on the 10th, the 20th, and the last day of every month for a new and interesting tidbit related to human factors. Don't miss out on the Human Factors Minute podcast, your ultimate source for all things human factors. Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. All right. Hello. My name is Elise. I'm here at the HFES Healthcare Symposium, and I'm actually sitting with the three finalists for the student design competition, which is all around coming up with a new digital application and applying the user-centered design process to it. Really exciting to be sitting with these finalists. I'm going to have each of the three go around and introduce themselves and explain a little bit of the app. Hi, my name is Stephanie Six. I'm currently a third-year PhD student at Clemson University, and I got my start with human factors just growing up with two engineering parents, and I used to just look at things and go, that could be easier. Why is this so difficult to use? And as I went through my undergraduate, because I actually have an undergrad degree in psychology, I just thought of human factors is just the com combination of engineering and psychology, two things I find really interesting. And I got my start with mental health. It's always been something I'm passionate about. So that kind of created the idea of creating this backdoor almost, creating what I call Earhart which is this app designed to help reduce symptoms of depression and just educate people overall on things to help you when you're feeling down or even when you're feeling stressed, but also introduce it in a way that's fun and in a way that's user-friendly. A lot of the apps out there right now just have really bad usability and people don't want to use them. And if they're not going to use them, it can't help them. So Earhart is scientifically backed. We did a bunch of research, meta-analyses to really add in as many things as they could to make people want to use the app. Because with COVID and everything, depression rates, they increased. And I think someone has to help reduce those over time. And I would love for Eric Hart to be a part of that. Thank you. Hi, my name is Eileen. I'm from San Jose State University. I am the first year graduate student of a human factor and ergonomic program. Uh, my app is for speech therapists, their assessment tool, since my sister is in speech therapist. And I somehow know that there is a pretty bad shortage of speech therapists in the industry. I wonder like if there is any solution since I'm really into figuring out problems and then solutions in my previous career path. That's also the reason I get into human factor. And so in, in the app, so we try to shorten the operation time of the therapist operating the whole tool 
And in that case, it can reduce the fatigue, the errors, and then in the eventually increase the total cases they can process per day. Yeah, it's pretty much like this. And I loved the way in your presentation that you had showed all the different tools that they use and how yeah. manual some of those processes are and really trying to solve some of those like human Yeah, I think complexity was the problem as well, but it completely couldn't be a problem for them since they are trained and professional. But as I am not like medical profession at all, it was pretty difficult for me to understand the whole thing like in a role, but like step by step, like I know things out. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. So my name is Michelle and I'm an undergraduate student at the University of Toronto right now and I'm studying industrial engineering. And I actually explored UX, I think, before I even explored engineering, because that was all the way back in grade 10, I think. So that was, I was just paying a visit like to my grandparents' home. And what I realized is when I asked them to do things on their smartphone, send me a message so I can like send them like photos of like my pet or something. They just struggle a lot with that. And it's understandable because they didn't grow up with that kind of technology. And to suddenly switch from even just like one of those heart like old-fashioned cell phones, those are already a little bit difficult to use for seniors. And now I'm asking them to like get all of these buttons that don't even reflect how phones look like now. It just doesn't really make sense. And then I started thinking about how I could simplify interfaces to help make their lives easier. For instance, I don't, a lot of people don't use it, but the iPhone app actually has like shortcuts and scripts that you can write to process a little bit. So I help them processes such as if they want to open like a video, they just have to press one button on the home screen and that would bring them there. So that's like my first peek into UX, even though I didn't know it was UX at the time. And then when I discovered that it was like an actual field out there, that got me really excited because I was like, then I can do that. Like when I graduate, I found that industrial engineering was a good door to that. And as I studied industrial engineering and attended a lot of hackathons, I started to gain the technical skills of um, like Figma and developing the prototypes and the UI experience. So for this app specifically, my focus was on reducing the preoperative anxiety of children, so meaning their anxiety before they go into a surgery. And the approach is to develop a mobile-based app that can be accessed from the child's home because currently most of the programs or all the programs out there are not mobile-based or and they're not internet-based. They're like really wordy brochures. If you saw them, you would cry. Like it's really, it's not pleasant to the eye. And especially for a child who needs a lot of visual, it doesn't really work. So this mobile app would be customized to the child's needs, their surgery type, their age group, with really colorful illustrations. And it shows an avatar undergoing the same exact type of surgery that they'll be undergoing. So it follows their journey as they pack their bags to head to the hospital, as they're in the waiting room, as they're in the surgery room, and all the way till they're picked up by their parents in the hospital bed. So this approach will be like a fun way that incorporates play and incorporates visuals to help the child understand what to expect. Thank you. For that. Yeah. And I should say congratulations since your app was selected as the winner. Thank you. <laughs> but I know that this competition is beyond winners or losers. A lot of the value from it is being able to go through this process and presenting it to people. Now that you've gone through this, what would you say was one of the hardest parts or like the most surprising parts that you learned doing this. And we can start with whoever wants to go first. Go ahead. Or I can go because I'm holding the, I'm holding the thing. So I think the hardest part for me was trying to 
learn, like re-taught, re-teach myself how a child interacts with an interface versus an adult. Because what I discovered is they have really, really different cognitive abilities, abilities and just their physical capabilities as well. Um, of course, their attention span is a lot shorter than adults and they need a lot of things that adults might not need and vice versa. So I had to do a, a research on that and look at previous research, especially considering I don't have a access to a huge database of six to eight year olds where I can sample from. So I learned that, for instance, they're really a lot more open to exploring the interface versus adults that who would get bored if they can't get something on the first try, whereas a child can spend several minutes trying to figure something out. So something like that was like a really new thing for me because I've been adulting. I've been um, designing for interfaces, but all for adults. Yeah. Thank you. I think for me, the hardest part would be getting understanding the health insurance system and like school system in America, since I know very little about them. And I also have very little resource to get to know them. So I need to ask a lot of my network to puzzle those new knowledges. And I also feel as an outsider to get get understanding a professional medical product took me some time to completely understand the product thoroughly. After understanding everything, I feel like it helped a lot for me to empathize the user's condition of the whole using scenario. Yeah. There's things. I think for me, coming from a psychology background, the hardest part was just designing and redesigning the various iterative phases of Earhart. You would spend hours and hours. I didn't realize how many hours people spent meticulously moving around connections. I just use Figma, which is a very base level to use, but I hadn't actually used it prior to this competition. And I would just spend hours like changing a background or like making connections or making sure all the boxes connect to the right place. And then you'd do something like a heuristic evaluation and you'd be like, oh, I now have to change all of these, all like 300 of these backgrounds. In the end, it's absolutely worth it. It helps increase usability. But I think that just surprised me because I, again, my developer, she really did a lot of the coding and the heavy handing. I'd just be like, hey, can you change this? And she'd be like, absolutely. And I didn't realize that she probably went home and spent like two hours doing the quote unquote simple things I asked her to do. So that really surprised me. And it helped me gain a real appreciation for people who like not only do this for a living, but also people like my developer who, you know, are just so ready and willing to help in every way to make this app a reality. That's awesome, especially because so often we think it's, we as human factors practitioners think a recommendation is so simple. And then you see the look on the designer, the engineer space, like what? So that's a fantastic takeaway. And is this all of yours first time at this conference? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, nice. So for all the students who are unfortunate enough to not be able to attend, like what would you say has been either a highlight or like your favorite aspect of coming to this conference? One thing I always say when I'm around human factors folks is it's so nice being in a room, not only where you don't have to explain what you do for a living and what you study, but it's also just a 
it's nice to see people who share the same passion in this quote-unquote small field as you. You'll run into someone and you're like, oh, what's your research? And it'll be nothing like yours, but it's still connected to yours in a way that is human factors. And it's just very cool getting to see all the different ways that human factors can be applied in so many industries. For me, I would say I really enjoy being exposed to multiple kinds of like new sounds and they always chose new bombs to me and I just got so blown. My, so my mind is pretty probably and I love that even though I don't know every detail that we're talking about, but at least one or two points I got today. I think that's a great harvest for me already. Yeah. Fantastic. For me, it's also like everyone that I've met because everyone's working on something cool. And like when I present my research, which is another highlight because I don't think I get to like present my research usually. So now it's like a really good opportunity to get feedback from people who have so much more experience and know so much and not just in like related view related field it's more like they're they have been working on this for years and to hear feedback from them and know what is out there and what resources i can tap into later on beyond the conference and to expand my own learning is really helpful and just the fact that everyone's like so helpful and so friendly and so open to share what they've been working on and give feedback i really appreciate that it is the beauty of human factors. I feel like that community is very supportive. I want to thank you three so much for coming on the show. Typically, the episodes always end with us saying it depends because in human factors, anytime, you know, someone has a question, that tends to be the go-to answer. I'll do a countdown to three and then we'll all say it depends. One, two, three. It depends. I'm joined by Susan Arantunian, who is part of E, formerly known as Mindflow Design. Susan, hello. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Susan, what? tell me a little bit about your role and what you do in terms of human factors. So my role is the director of human factors on the research at FTE, formerly Mindflow. My role has evolved everything from being involved in the projects with the team to all the way now with a little bit more with the business development role in the company. And of course, also managing the staff at FTE. Excellent. Thanks for that. And as I understand it, primarily a contractor position as opposed to embedded human factors within a medical device company. Is that correct? That is correct. So FTE is a service provider. The broader MTE is a service provider for medical device capital equipment that they build and manufacture and maintain the record for many. On our side of the design of the Valdet, we are a human factors and design and engineering house that is much more involved in many different products, whether they manufacture or not, that we support all the activities required for those pieces. So we got a lot of clients from startup to large corporations, combination products, anything you probably think of within healthcare are at some point involved in those processes. Awesome. And as I understand it, your role has changed over the years and you've jumped between the contracting side and the actual manufacturer side. So being part of the companies that are actually the ones creating the medical devices. Can you speak a little bit to like how you see the role of human factors changing? between those two positions? Yeah, so I, to be fair, I started off in the hybrid contractor, but also in-house side of the manufacturer 
working with class three medical devices, which was at the time, even before the FDA guidance had a lot of focus on making sure it was safe and effective to But then going into the manufacturing side or manufacturer side, which is the company with us, the R&D and development, it's quite different because especially with the introduction of human factors into the design controls, it has led for a lot of what I've thought industry learning curve. So coming in, the role is always an advocate for the discipline itself. But at the same time, you're also designing and keeping the end user safety in mind during the development of their products. And that has to be carried through and through. So that is a different kind of perception to take because there is a lot of internal conflicts or internal, let's just say, priorities that come into the, to the R&D and development um, and allows you to reach across different disciplines to make sure that you are still able to meet all the things that are necessary from both the site controls perspective, both from 6236 perspective, and of course, making sure all of that overlies and as you're seeing down to the road of the FDA guidance. So once you reach the end, that you're not having to create something quickly at that, as opposed to uh, being in a role on end, I think you're not always going from the beginning to the end. You're not always involved in the full design development process. They don't have a legal department and have a two-way department always or regulatory department. You come in and you service and you provide guidance for clients, different sizes, different times in their product development, and they just don't know what they don't know. It's like an exercise of understanding their position, being able to craft the right solution for them. And a right solution is not the same for everybody. So it creates its own challenges, but that's kind of part of the fun of being able to do what I do on the service base because you're actually helping those companies get through the hurdle and they learn through it. So that helps. Yeah, so it sounds like different advantages and disadvantages of those two roles, but ultimately being the one advocating for safe and effective use with those representative intended users. Yeah. And you, you touch on a couple different types of devices, hoping maybe you could clarify those for folks who aren't as involved in healthcare. So you mentioned like class three devices, combination products. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what you mean by those? Yes. So class three devices is something like an insulin pump for a Patient or person with type 1 diabetes that isn't on the medication. And those systems are fairly complex and there is a uh, risk to it that could involve the worst case of death, not risk appropriately. A class 2 device is more maybe a, a device that's used in the hospital, something like a monitoring equipment, or it could be even an whole product that could be a home test kit. A combination product, on the other hand, is a product that has to do with drug delivery and both of them together as a device and a drug in that combination space. Great. Thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, I would just add there like maybe like an injection, insulin, pollen, a pre-filled syringes. Is so that as it is a choice? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So just different classifications of the device, class one, two, and three, based on kind of the risk, intended use of the product, and then combination product just based on the combination of drug ends. But together. Sometimes you'll have the pump plus some mix, but I use that as an example of the cost to utilize. And there are different variations of these. Yeah. No, those are helpful examples. And it, it's great to touch on this because I was also able to talk with um, 
Mike Wickland and Yvonne from the, the regulations workshop and touching on some of the different regulations and how that applies and here you talking about from your experience out in the field, like that's something that you very much are paying attention to and adhering to and when executing the human factors, your methods. That, thanks for all that and all my, <laughs> answering all my questions. And as I understand you, you tend to come to this uh, periodically, with, or not this workshop, this conference. And so when you're coming, like what has been bringing you back to this conference over the years? This was the first conference of its kind at focused on healthcare, Roth industry uh, personnel from the FDA side that were doing the human factors reviews and to originally have these panels and talks. But more than that, and you know, that wasn't the case as much this year, as you could see, there was a lot of discussion around these processes and what the agency is looking for and what are our other peers in the field seeing and how are we addressing issues. Now, one of the me takeaways that I've had from this conference is uh, it's all the challenges and the pain points that we see out there with our clients and the things that and solutions that they presented. It validates that we are also all in the same boat and the things that we're applying are correct. And every now and then, of course, you hear great tips, both for folks that have tried something. So that's very much valuable and that turns back as support for my clients and I try to learn from that and he or validates of what we've been doing is correct. And of course, the other half of the conference, and I've just been coming for many years and I've been a member of the society since probably 2008 and it's just a couple of my peers and my friends and everybody else. So it's a great time to meet up with people and catch up. So that's the other 50% of the fun for me. I would say that's a big theme of responses that I've heard from folks. I think the community aspect is important. So yeah, thanks for all that. Any additional highlights or big things that stood out to you while you were here? Oh, I, I thought this year, but definitely probably the best in the healthcare conference year that I've attended. I think definitely did a strong kickoff with the keynote speaker. So that was a great start. And is this nice to be here again? No. Excellent. So soon, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. All of these episodes always end with, it depends, because as you know, in human factors, it's the classic. It's so all count us down on the count of three, and then we'll say it together to wrap up. Sound good? Yes. Okay. It depends. Welcome to the Safe and Effective Podcast a show that dives deep into the world of medical human factors and user experience. I'm your host, Heidi Merzad. Are you passionate about making a difference in the medical field? Curious about the science behind designing usable, safe, and effective medical devices? Look no further. Every episode, we bring you exclusive interviews with experts from industry, academia, and government as they share their insights and experiences in the rapidly evolving world of medical human factors. From case studies to regulatory updates, we've got you covered. Stay ahead of the curve and learn valuable lessons that make a real impact on patient quality of life and user experience. Whether you're an industry expert or a novice looking to expand your knowledge, Safe and Effective, the Medical Human Factors podcast is for you. Join us as we explore the world of human factors and its impact on the medical device industry. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform. Stay tuned and remember, be safe and effective. 
Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our monthly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and access to the full library of Human Factors Minute, a weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you, and remember, it depends.